0: This is The Guardian.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcarecom loss. That's plushcarecom loss. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. genome-edited tomatoes are set to appear on dining tables in japan it's the first time that genome edited food will be sold and shipped to consumers tinkering with food in a
0: lab is something that a lot of people can find disconcerting
1: the new variety was modified to have a higher content of a nutrient known as gaba which is thought to help
0: reduce blood pressure But plenty of others believe that genetically enhanced crops, and potentially livestock, will be key to feeding our growing population more sustainably.
1: Genome-edited varieties are considered as safe as anything improved using conventional methods because no outside gene is introduced. And whilst the
0: UK is some way behind Japan, and their appealingly named Sicilian Rouge High Gabba tomato, The government did recently announce that England will be relaxing its rules around gene edited crops, taking them out of the labs and getting them into the fields. So, what does this rule change really mean for the future of our food? I'm Madeline Finlay, and from The Guardian, this is Science Weekly. Robin, As the Observer's Science and Environment Editor, you wrote about the announcement of the rule change. But before we get into all of that, I think it would be good to set out exactly what gene editing is and how it differs from genetic modification.
2: Gene editing is a method for changing the DNA of a living organism, In the past, we have genetically modified organisms by inserting a foreign gene from another organism, another species, and put the whole thing in, or at least a large chunk of it. With gene editing, what you're doing is just making very, very slight tweaks. You remove one piece of DNA, a couple of items, and put in a couple of others. And so you can make very subtle changes in the makeup of a gene and see how that affects the behavior of the organism or the plant that you are studying.
0: Right, so let's say that the genome is like a book, then genetic modification would be like taking out a paragraph and putting in a different one from another book, whereas genetic editing would be more like playing around with a word in a sentence. So with that analogy in mind, am I right in thinking that there's more significant changes being made when you're doing genetic modification in comparison to genetic editing?
2: Uh, Yes, uh, genetic modification is more intrusive and it's slightly more like a blunderbuss compared to a fine rapier of the gene editing
0: so we've got this very precise technique that we can use. And I know that that's called CRISPR. So can you explain to us how CRISPR works?
2: Well, CRISPR stands for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. What CRISPR does is an enzyme called Cas9 carries the CRISPR sequence into DNA and chops it up at a precise point. And in this way, you can actually change the structure of a gene. I mean, it's a revolutionary technology and it won Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Dudna the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 2020.
0: And so this leads us on to the fact that the UK government has announced that it's going to relax England's rules around genetic editing away from those in Europe, which are the strictest in the world at the moment, so why were Europe's rules so strict and why wouldn't countries want to do this?
2: Why Europe is quite so strict in it? These are countries that have got more stronger and more entrenched green worries. It's the slippery slope argument. If you start sticking genes in all over the place, what will you do next? They say the technology is tried and untested. Well, it's tried and untested because they won't let people test it as part of the problem. What happened in 2018 was that Europe decided that gene editing was a form of genetic manipulation or modification. Most scientists do not see it that way and felt that this was wrong and were outraged by the decision. Now that we have left uh, Europe, they say we are free to use this technology and to use it to improve, first of all, crops, and perhaps later on, our livestock. You've got something that's really quite a subtle, quite a precise piece of technology. And scientists think we should give it the benefit of the doubt. We should run it. It's not a Frankenstein or a frankenfood exercise. It's an exercise in subtle science.
0: Why do scientists want to do this? Why would we genetically edit our crops in the first place?
2: There are all sorts of things we can do. We can make crops that are resistant to various diseases we can make them more plentiful and produce more foods, more nutrition, And we can also make it resistant to the effects of climate change. You make a crop also that's got a high yield. You don't need to spend so much money on putting phosphates and nitrates and other forms of growth enhancers in the soil. Similarly, if you've got a good drought-resistant or a disease-resistant crop, you don't have to put so much pesticide.
0: Clearly, there's potential benefits to this technique. But to get a sense of where the science is at, I spoke to Dr Richard Harrison, Director of Cambridge Cot Research at the National Institute of Agricultural Botany. So, Richard, now that the rules are set to relax in England around gene editing, how are you feeling about it?
3: Oh, I think everybody in the scientific community is really excited by it because it just offers the potential for us to accelerate the uh, impact of some of our work and test out uh, some of the things we've been working on in the lab, in the field, in a much more streamlined process.
0: So tell us about some of this work that you're doing. What kind of difference is the rule change going to make to your research?
3: I think the, you know, the real thing that the Current legislative changes are going to enable is for us to test in the field in the real world the effects of some of the different genes that we've been editing to see if our hypotheses are correct and whether they perform in the natural world in the same way that we um, have been able to measure in the laboratory. So it, it's really about checking that our, our results stand up to the very variable environments that plants encounter in the field.
0: So what are you looking forward to growing first?
3: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, we've we've got a whole stack of things that we've been working on um, across a range of crops. So some of my colleagues have been working on validating gene resistance targets, so resistance to pathogens. So actually, in this case, we're trying to make the plant susceptible to the disease to check that we found the right disease controlling the resistance. We've got some of those experiments Uh, ongoing in wheat. We've got um, similar experiments where we're trying to make the plants more resistant by knocking out genes that we think the pathogens are using to make their way into the plant or, or control or subvert the plant's own immune responses. We've got a whole range of experiments looking at um, changes to the root architecture of plants, either changing the root angle, making them deeper rooted, um, potentially in some cases changing their um, ability to interact with different soil microbes. That's really focused on trying to increase overall plant resilience to extreme environmental conditions or just increase their resource use efficiency.
0: It's one thing creating a genetically edited seed in a lab, but how accurate is it when you actually get it out into the field? How often do these seeds grow into a plant with the traits that you're actually after?
3: I mean, the, the hope is that most of the time we will be correct because of the precision um, that we're really taking here in our in our editing approaches. So we are much more predictive about you know the consequences of the mutations that we are introducing but it is really important to recognize that the you know the test of any trait is in the natural environment and you cannot really represent in a full sense the environmental fluctuations that a plant is exposed to in the field in a laboratory setting and that's why it's so useful to be able to go out and do real world field trials
0: all of this sounds Absolutely fascinating. But of course, there are some people who say that this technique in particular isn't tried and tested fully, and that we should be quite cautious in our approach. Is that something that you're concerned about?
3: Not really. I mean, the technologies we're talking about here and the way that the legislative changes have been framed are that the things that would be allowed or be deregulated are are ones that are indistinguishable from nature. And so it's really a class of genetic changes that if you were presented and you didn't know the method by which those mutations had occurred, you wouldn't know whether it was a naturally occurring mutation or something that had been genetically engineered. So we're at the stage of trying to get stuff into the field, test the, the things that we think are going to happen, do happen, and then I think the logical next step will then be to think about products. But all of that legislation is yet to come.
0: So it could be a while before we see genetically edited tomatoes on the shelves in the UK. But it isn't just crops that we need to start thinking about. Livestock will face many of the same pressures. So could gene editing help here too?
2: They've decided to go for crops, first of all, and they haven't ruled out using it for livestock. In fact, I think it's very much in the minds that they would do it. It's really a matter of where you go first. But you're absolutely correct. All the things that you could do to improve crops by making them more disease-resistant, etc. It's exactly what you could do for animals. For instance, at the Roslyn Institute, they're already working on making genes that would make farm animals more resistant to flu because both swine and avian flu epidemics have hit the world and if you can find make animals that are resistant to influenza then you have less likelihood of triggering another flu pandemic on the planet.
0: I mean that sounds amazing if we could help take away some of that risk of another pandemic and in your article, you also wrote about scientists who have created pigs that are immune to a very common and pretty nasty virus. So could this be good for the welfare of animals as well as good for us?
2: Yes, I think that is the argument that it's good for our animal husbandry and uh, it is good for us as well. It leads people to worry, though, about the intensification of farming. Is this a step that's actually far from freeing the farm animal and making it easier for it to live? Or does it actually increase the sort of factory farming that many people find rather revolting? It doesn't necessarily mean that you make farming more intense. It's just a way, if properly used, of protecting animals and, as the climate changes, making... The farm animals that we've got in this country adapt to the changing conditions that are being presented and are going to worsen over the next few decades. And if you use this technique properly, scientists would argue that that is a responsible way forward.
0: Thank you to both Dr Richard Harrison and Robin McKee. You can find a link to Robin's piece on the possibility of gene editing livestock on our podcast webpage at theguardian.com. We'll also include a link to our special three-part series on genetic editing, The Gene Gap. On Thursday, we'll be back looking at the exciting announcement from the World Health Organization that it's approved the widespread use of the world's first malaria vaccine. But we'll also be asking, why exactly has it taken us so long to get there? See you then. This is The Guardian.
1: Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.